0: Good evening everybody. Well, what is the evening of the 7th of November 2022 and it's a historical day in the podcasting world fingers crossed. This podcast will actually be released on the 8th of the 11th. So a bit of a peek behind the curtain there into the lavish life of podcasting. My name is Tom Kemp. My friends know me and call me Kempy or Kemp and welcome to the first episode of the loaded sports podcast. The weekly episodic, the weekly uh, recorded podcast between me and three of my closest, well, I think at this point in time our closest friends. That might change as the podcast goes on uh, and we'll talk about all all things sports. We'll talk about football, the National Football League, MMA, boxing, golf, cricket, anything that people want to talk about. Let's talk about it here on Loaded Sports. I am joined for the inaugural episode of Loaded Sports by my good friend, Ben Dawson. Dawson, how are you yeah, doing? Mate. I'm good, mate. Can I just ask you a question? Ask me anything you want. Thank you. So you, in your intro there you said that
1: you were looking forward to or that you were going to be speaking about a variety of different sports with three of your closest
0: friends. So I'm assuming yeah. that me and Mudge and Sam are your closest friends and Adam's just here for ride along. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's fine. That's you you assumed right? correctly. And and speaking of of, of Adam, the elephant in the room, not, not one of my closest friends, but he's here anyway.
2: Adam Marsden, how you doing, mate? I'm very good, thank you. Yourself?
0: Yeah, very well, thank you. Now, another slight peek behind the curtain, everybody, as you'll probably see on our website when that's finally up and running, um, Adam is the only sports journalist among us, um, but that is offset by Adam having the weakest sports knowledge amongst us, so, you know, and yang, that sort of thing. In terms of getting started we're just going to jump straight into it we are going to have uh one of my other best friends mujib joining the call in about half an hour to talk about the nfl um talking about his philadelphia eagles and yeah it's not surprising that he's only joining the call to talk about the nfl when his eagles are doing as well as they are so adam i'll pass it over to you What, what are we talking about first mate
2: uh, first of all we'll start with uh, Sheffield United. I know you're a huge fan of Sheffield United and uh, I'll let you just explain what happened on Saturday to get you in such a good mood for the weekend.
0: Um, I don't, To be honest with you mate I don't know. Uh, we, we came into the game we've not been on the best form but we had a good result in our last game uh, and and, and we, we looked positive. We were at home that always helps you know the first season we were in the Premier League we were at Bramall Lane and you know, that that was the twelfth man, as they say. Um and, and really did take us to a decent position in that first season. And then when COVID struck, unfortunately, we couldn't have any fans in, we, we finished rock bottom with barely any points. So I do think it makes a massive difference. I do think it's a great atmosphere, and I think anybody that's been been to Bramble Lane will probably agree. But yeah, um Burnley have got this new ticky tacker style that Vincent Company's trying to so they integrate integrating to the club. I think it's great for them. They are obviously sitting top of the league, I think, as it stands. But, you know, um, a good high press, good organisational skills um, and and good awareness at sort of set pieces and and, and a couple of scrappy goals. And uh, sometimes that's all you need in the championship to walk away 5-2 victors against top of the league. So, yeah, absolutely delighted. Um, start of the season. I was hoping we could make a run on the playoffs. I think we're sat third now. So, yeah, I'm I'm absolutely delighted. So, thank you, Adam, for bringing
2: that up first. So Has your expectation changed then since the season started? So, you said you wanted the playoffs. You've just yeah. beat the league leaders 5-2. You've got yeah. a game in hand. You've now got goal difference over them. If you win that game in hand, you'll go top on goal difference. The points will be the same. It's, it's very much in your hands to go top of the league now. So, has your expectation really changed?
0: Mm, no. Uh, no, not at all. I mean, the championship's proved, you know, time and time again that it's the most unpredictable and... And one of the most difficult leagues in the world. Um, I think at one point this season there, there was some crazy stats going about, but I think the team that were top of the table had, had lost more than the team in one of the teams in the bottom half. I don't know, some, something crazy like that. Um, but it just proves how much of a crazy league it is. And you know, we, we were on a bad run of form. We got a few, quite a few injuries that we seem to sort of be getting over now, which is great. But now I think with the with the squad that we've got. And this might be me just being a bit pragmatic and being a little bit calm and cautious about predicting good things. I do still expect us to finish within the playoff region. Um and, and I expect that's where we'll end up. So
2: I suppose this is something that you you have to worry about a little bit more than um myself or or Dawson for that matter as well. Southampton have just sacked their manager. Um, mm-hmm. there's been rumours today that Luton or should I say rumours, confirmed by Luton's own social media profile that they've given permission for their manager to speak to Southampton is there any point, any concern or worry that you might have to get a new manager in as yours moves on to, to past his new no,
0: no I don't think so I mean it's it's, it's Hecky's first full season uh, with with us obviously it was the interim manager when Chris Wilder departed and then Slavisa Yukanovic didn't quite work out so yeah, I think we're all I think we're all right for that this season. I think the biggest concern that I would have would be players rather than manager. So you look at players like Eliman and Jai, who have really burst onto the scene this season through Sheffield United Youth Academy, which has obviously produced some gems in the past. Um, and then you look at players like Sander Berg, who are anybody with with a pair of eyes and knows anything about football can see that he's just a step above. So I'm not worried about losing Heikki. I am more worried about losing the sort of top players, the Anells, the Sanderbergs, the Illuminati to you know struggling potentially Premier League clubs or or something like that. But you know that that's that's football It is what it is.
2: And I suppose the question that loads of people are going to be asking around the Championship and the Premier League is the World Cup is very close uh, to starting. There's a break for championship clubs, you've got Rotherham followed by Cardiff before you go on that break, is there any sort of concern or worry that that form is going to struggle when you start again um, towards the middle of December?
0: No, I don't think so because we've, like I say, we had a few losses and we've, we've managed to regain that form, you know, we were, we had a great start to the season, we lost our first game then I think we won, you know, quite a few on the spin so... You know, we um we had a good start to the season. We were top after not, not many games and then, you know, a few injuries and we fell away. But we managed to recapture that form. And I think with the squad that we've got and the players that we've got and the back in, like I say at Bram Lane, I, I do think we'll we'll be able to adjust back into it quite quickly after the World Cup and uh, I think we'll find our feet again and like I say, fingers crossed we uh we make that top six, if not that top two, that'd be lovely.
2: Would you be confident going into the playoffs? With the football that no. you're playing and something now?
0: No. no. No, <laughs> absolutely not. It's Sheffield United in playoffs, mate. We could have we could have prime two thousand and eleven Barca team, and I wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't be confident about Sheffield United in the playoffs. But you know, it's 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 progression, and it's you know it's um it's you know consolidating our position back in the Championship. Obviously, I know we've been in a couple of seasons now. It's progression. It's getting us to that sort of mid table, um, to that sort of playoff region, and then you know hopefully we can have a, a decent campaign and, and then kick on again next season if we don't win the playoffs
2: this year. Nice one. And Skin, I'll just ask you about Sheffield United as well. A real statement made by them. Do you think now trying to prove themselves as one of the front runners in the championship? Obviously, Kemp's already said that the expectation is in and around playoffs. Why not with a victory like that and a performance like that? Second half, I think they were losing at half-time as well, weren't they?
0: I'll answer <laughs> that one and say yes, we were.
2: Losing at half-time and then went on to win 5-2. By the end of we it, did. Uh, we did. Skin statement made.
1: Well, it has to be done. It five two against the Burnley side that were top of the league, as you said. But the championship's so hard to pick. It's one game next next weekend. Sheffield United could get battered four nil by someone, and, and Burnley could beat someone six nil. It's you know widely known as one of, if not the toughest league in the world. So. Anything can happen, but it's it's definitely a, a step in the right direction in terms of momentum and confidence. The only thing that I'm worried about, Kevin was just talking about the World Cup break there. Sheffield United a couple of seasons ago were in the Premier League and absolutely flying. Football season got postponed for a bit due to the initial lockdown and came out the other side of it absolutely dreadful and got relegated. So, you know, is that going to be in the back of their minds a little bit where they, they've got a great bit of momentum and a bit of form behind them? they have a bit of a long break and they've got to come back and try and pick up where they left off. You know, the last time that happened, they they struggled and fell massively and that's why they're back in the championship. So I think that as a Sheffield United I is probably the biggest concern.
0: I think it's a different situation though. I mean, we, we were in COVID times. We, we couldn't have any fans in the ground. Like I say, we lost that 12th man. And I'll be honest, before, you know, you know, when COVID hit, you know, we weren't great. We, we weren't. And obviously going into that COVID season, You know we were we were even worse but i'd put that down just as much to the sort of poor recruitment than i would the 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 break or the you know the lack of fans i think they're all a contributing factor but i think the biggest problem we had there was was the was the poor recruitment for for that level and we just didn't keep up with everybody else and again injuries you know we had jack o'connell injured that that season and he's still injured to to today, and he might never play football again. So, I think it's a different situation. But I understand exactly what you're saying, and from an outsider's perspective, you know, looking in, that that is a concern. I must admit, but we'll see.
2: Well, we're going to move from one of the more unpredictable leagues um, in England to one of the uh, towards the top side, especially predictable this year, as Arsenal and Man City look like uh, they're in. The running for running away from the rest of the Premier League, um, skin. I'll start by speaking to you about Manchester United as a supporter and a defeat to Aston Villa. W- what's going on at Manchester United? They seem a side that no longer are a. They are expected to beat you Aston Villas, but they could they could literally lose to anybody at the same time as beating anybody. And it's a typical mid-table Premier League side.
1: Yeah, it was a sharp result and. I know they got a lot of stick at the start of the season, but if you look at their results since the game against Brentford, where they got battered four nil and they were four nil down at half time, they've looked like a much better side And it was it was over the weekend, Friday or Saturday, that I was even mentioning the form that they'd been in and if Eric Tenarga had got his sort of hands in and would turn them into the team that he'd envisioned they could be. Sixteen games since the Brentford game, they'd won twelve of them and only lost two. Last seven games they kept six clean sheets. You know, Sandro Martinez and, and Rafael Varane at the back seemed like they were turning into a bit of a formidable pairing. But, yeah, it's definitely a shot result at the weekend. I, I watched it 2-0 down inside the first 10 minutes. You know, it's it's always going to be hard to come back from, no matter who you're playing or, or who you are as a team yourselves. Leon Bailey with just beat Lindell off the pace for the first goal. He caused United a lot of trouble in their pre-season game. And then Lucas Digner scored that free kick about what three and a half four minutes later. So it was a great start from Villa the first game under Emery. But, you know it's a bit of a statement in terms of what kind of team they could turn into after the poor form they were with Gerrard. But yeah, I'm not too worried because you know the stats speak for themselves. Before that game, you know they were looking much better. But again, similar to what we just spoke about with Sheffield United, there it's this upcoming break that I'm probably more concerned about um, because. Again, they were absolutely flying, um, and then there was the break in football due to the passing of the Queen. And they came back and they really struggled for two or three games to to get back sort of into the form they were before that. So, yeah, I'm I'm not too concerned, but yeah, I'd definitely call it a shot result. And, and they were very poor at times and a lot of injuries, but you, you know, a team of that stature with the money they've spent in the past, that, you know, starting eleven were still very very capable and it's more than reasonable to expect three points with that team that started.
2: So, as a United fan, are you pro-Ronaldo or are you against Ronaldo at the moment, being within that squad?
1: Being within that squad, I'm pro-Ronaldo in terms of the leadership he can bring, in terms of the experience he's got, in terms of that winning mentality that he's got 100%. And I don't really agree with the people that say get him out. However, if we're talking pro, him being in the starting eleven every single week, I would say no not necessarily due to uh, a downfall in ability or anything like that due to his age, but more so his style and how that fits within Ten Hag's system. I think the difference in games between where Ronaldo started and then say Rashford started up top or you know, in, in games where Marshall's come on when he's not been injured, it's been night and day. You know, They're fast players, they like to get in behind. Ronaldo... You see a lot of him nowadays. He, he's dropping in towards the centre circle. He's, you know, he's trying to play one-two passes. He, he's not really playing a lot off that last man nowadays. So yeah, hundred percent in terms of what he can bring to a squad, I'd love to see him remain there. But I understand, you know, the drive that he's got to still perform at a high level, you know. So it probably would be best for him to let him move on and, and sort of finish his career on his terms, really, as opposed to doing what he's doing at the minute which is spending a lot of time on the bench
2: I was going to say three points away from fourth place with a game in hand isn't the worst situation to be in probably helped by the fact that Tottenham uh, lost to Liverpool so we can have a a genuine discussion about an impartial discussion shall I say edging away from the sides that um, we all support Can
0: Can I just quickly come in on the Manchester United thing Yeah absolutely So
2: if I if
0: someone put a gun to my head and say oh, you, who was your sort of favourite team in the Premier League, obviously with Sheffield United not being there, I probably would say Manchester United. My stepdad's a, a massive Manchester United fan. Went to Rotterdam and Barcelona and been you know everywhere with them. Um, so that was sort of drilled into me as a kid. When it comes to the Ronaldo piece, I don't think I could disagree any more with Dawson than than I do. Um, Yapstam, David Beckham, Ruvan van Nistelrooy these are all examples of fantastic footballers who in the end, for whatever reason, oh, Roy Keane, by the way, I missed that one out there. For whatever reason, they were doing more harm to the dressing room than good. And for me, it doesn't matter whether Ronaldo's, <clears throat> you know, the best player of all time or whatever. At this point in time, he isn't. He's a shell of his former self because he's 35, 36 years of age. That's the father time. Nobody beats father time. But if you're not playing Cristiano Ronaldo every single week which is what they'll have brought him in to do and what he'll have you know, thought he was doing when he got brought in under Ollie, he will spit his dummy out as quick as possible, he'll storm down the tunnel, he'll, he will not have it, he's Cristiano Ronaldo and he's the main man and he's bigger than every single football club in the world, he is the, the franchise as far as he's concerned and when I look at players like Hannibal, Ilanga you know, Garnaccio you know these young, talented prospects that are coming through at Manchester United, and that's what they've got to aspire to. That's the type of you know that's Cristiano Ronaldo. That's the ultimate professional. That is not professionalism. That's a a, a diva spitting his dummy out because he's not able or not willing, pick your poison, to to fit into the Eric ten Hag style of play. So that's my opinion on Ronaldo. And when it comes to the loss against Aston Villa. Aston Villa are on the new manager bounce. That happens all the time. Unai Emery's come in. You know, it's a massive bounce for the football club. They were getting very frustrated frustrated with Steven Gerrard. You know, United. I think they were missing um, Anthony. Um, you know, yeah, a lot know. of players. Anthony. Yeah. Um, Bruno, Sancho, was Bruno, out? Bruno was out. Yeah.
1: Um, Marshall so, was out. I'm not also reading,
0: a lot of that. So I'm not reading too much into that. In the end of the day. Rome wasn't built in a day. Manchester United, for the past few years, have been in an absolute state. So, to think that Ten Hag's just going to come in and, and break every you know do everything in one season, Ten Hag needs three or four years, and he knows that. So, any Manchester United fans who are getting upset or worried or, you know, we're getting beaten by Aston Villa, this is going to take time. It's going to take time. And, you know, that that's the way it is in football these days. It takes time for these things to... To rebuild, but Eric Ten Hag, for me, already in the few months that he's been there, he's already proven to to me, at least, for whatever it's worth, he's he's the man for the job, in my opinion.
2: So, what's your message to Manchester United fans that are pro Ronaldo and are on social media platforms criticizing the way that uh, Ten Hag's handled the situation? How Manchester United have gone about handling Ronaldo?
0: Well, I'm not the best person to ask about social media because I, I I despise it. Um, you know, I'll go on Twitter for my news and Instagram for updates and stuff like that. But as a social media user, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of it. And that culture of, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo fans, then you would be a fan of who you want to be. But you know, there are in this day and age fans of players that will support whichever club that player is playing for. You know, there's Twitter accounts that are dedicated to Cristiano Ronaldo that were a fan of Real Madrid when he's at Real Madrid fan of Juventus where he went to Juventus and now as supposed to be fans of United, now he's back at United. So I wouldn't read too much into that because that's a very, very fickle fan base anyway. But what I would say is, you know, ignore the noise, you know, in January after the World Cup, me personally, I'd try and get Ronaldo out. I'd say, you know, you can have him, whoever's going to have him, you can have him on a free. But ultimately, you know, we're not paying his wages. We're getting him off the wage bill. That's him gone. That's him done. And that's what I would do if I was Eric ten Hag and, and Manchester United, but I'm not. I might be bald, but I'm not Eric ten
2: Hag. Fair enough. Skindar, uh, ask your opinion on that.
0: Yes, mate. I um,
1: I don't disagree with him. Like I said, in terms of what he brings to the pitch, uh, it, you know, I, I don't think it's quite there. You know, in an ideal world, he would be that great leader and that great example of what it takes to win and you know what it means to win, but. It, it, as I mentioned when I was talking about him a few minutes ago, he, he doesn't want to be that and that's that's fine. He's he's a player, he's got his own rights in terms of what he wants to do with his career. Manchester United have their own vision of what they want to do and if neither's philosophy fits with the other, then crack on and move on. There's no point wasting each other's time, really, is there? So. Yeah.
2: Big chance in uh, January to let him go. Um, moving on to the news that was uh, rumoured earlier on today surrounding Liverpool, who may have turned a corner with the victory against Tottenham. Quite a good uh, three points for them to move up into the top 10 of the Premier League. Um, the potential of uh, Liverpool being sold. Kemp, I know you wanted to speak a bit more about this, but I'll just ask first of all, are Liverpool turning a corner with a victory against the top four side at the moment like Tottenham?
0: Yeah, I mean, Liverpool are, are, are going to be there thereabouts. You know, you've, you've seen teams in the past have poor, poor starts to the season. Um, maybe not as poor as this one from Liverpool, but but poor starts to the season, they've turned it around. Jürgen Klopp's a world-class manager. He's proved that since he's come into the Premier League. You know, he proved it before he was in the Premier League. Um, and I've got no hesitation or doubt that Liverpool will be in the top four come the end of the season. It, you know, if not top four, most definitely top six. They've got problems. They've got an aging midfield. They've got You know, not the best squad depth, but to be fair, they've not had unbelievable squad depth ever since they've sort of been pulling up trees in the Premier League and in European competitions. They just seem to have otherworldly levels of fitness to sort of, um, you know, counteract that. Um, Turned a corner, yeah, I guess. But for me, not surprising. Um, Conte, I think, sets up wrong in big games. I think when Conte's playing against sort of lesser, smaller teams, I think he's, you know, Spurs often, more often than not, walk away with sort of comfortable w- wins because he knows how to play the game. They'll get a goal and then he'll just defend, and that's just the way it is. Um, but Liverpool are a, a, a great side with great players, and and, and I'm not surprised they, they turned them over and I'm not surprised they got the result. And like you say, turn the corner, yeah, but I expected them to sort of be on the march in the second half of the season anyway.
2: Just looking at their upcoming games heading in towards uh, the World Cup, um, they've got tomorrow—not tomorrow, tomorrow uh, Wednesday—tomorrow um, derby in the third round of the FL Cup, and then they've got Southampton. So a nice little lead-in to to break for them, really. And it's, if they are,
0: well, yeah, to- I mean, Derby's like play your kids because you know it's 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 the cup and in in a season like this, um, Jurgen Klopp's definitely going to do that. Yeah, he's going to play the kids. He's going to play the reserves, and that's just as what it is. And you just got to accept that, even if you do love the magic of the cup. Um, and Southampton's a bit of a free hit at the minute because you don't know what's you don't know what's going on with their managerial situation. So yeah, it's a favourable run in. Um, let's see what happens on the other side of the World Cup and what they're you know. Hopefully they've got for them. They've got a clean bill of health and and they can kick on.
2: Is it typical that with no Joe Gomez they go out and get three points straight away?
0: Yeah. Because Joe Gomez is not, I think everybody's seen, you know, especially in that Napoli game, he's definitely got his deficiencies. I don't think he's a terrible footballer, but he's he's got one in him. And I say that about centre backs that make, you know, Aaron Maguire, for example, has got one in him, and Joe Gomez is the same. But I think they've got enough cover there. They've got Matip, they've got Canarte, and obviously they've got Van Dijk. So as long as, like I say, they get a clean bill of health coming out of the other side of the World Cup and the break, then um, they'll be all right. I think.
2: I think they'll. I've got them down to finish top four, even still. I think Arsenal and Man City are way too far ahead for them to really be that competitive now. I think both of them, too, with a game in hand, have the chance to go. I think it's like eight points clear at the top of the Premier League. So I think they're yeah, they're
0: at the title race, and they know that as well
2: and I think top four is best they're going to hope for but with sides that are around there at the moment that like you say Newcastle's one of them that are surprising a lot of people some kind of expected it from them Tottenham are a side that are very hit and miss United we've already spoken about similar situation Brighton surprising a lot of people but have they got the squad depth to be consistent enough to be there by the end of the season Chelsea who no one really understands what's going on with Chelsea at the moment they seem to be losing games they should be winning and winning games they should be losing so I'm not quite sure what's going on with Chelsea at the moment. I, I it's think the witching the, hour. It's the witching, the witching hour, hour yeah. for Bridge. Witching hour playing a big part. I, I think top four's realistic, and I think that's where Liverpool are going to finish. Again, title race is completely out of the window skin. I've got no
1: further comment as to what's just said. However, I do have a question back into regards of what Kent's just said there. So, Kent, you mentioned Joe Gomez, showing that he had deficiencies against Napoli. Yeah. And a lot of people have seen that. Um, can you elaborate on that more? Is it a calcium thing, magnesium, iron?
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Testosterone, I think. In that game,
3: right, okay. <laughs> he didn't
2: have
0: the he didn't have the bollocks for it. <laughs> okay,
1: that's it. That's right. it. simple as that. We, we can move on from Liverpool. Fantastic.
2: There we go. Can we move on to Arsenal, who for the last couple of years have been edging ever closer towards uh, challenging for the title. This is their big opportunity to go ahead and win it. And do you think that this is where you can sit down and see Arsenal as serious contenders, or is it a case of Man City will still go the distance and win the championship again?
0: Arsenal serious contenders now. Um, I love it. I get it. They're playing some lovely football. You know, Granit Xhaka. I mean, what, 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 what is he on? You know, he's he's gone from a, a player that I don't know how long ago it was, maybe a season, maybe maybe a little bit more. Um, he took his armband off and started flipping the Arsenal fans off. That's it. It was done. And now you look at him. I, I watched him the other day against Chelsea. He's box to box. He's in there. He's getting stuck in. You know, he's he's dying for the club. And that's what they've been missing. You know, they've they've been missing that, that real spine in midfield. Um, and with with him and and with Partey, who I don't want to talk about very much because you know, obviously the off field stuff. I've, I've no interest in talking about him. But he's a good footballer. Um, and, and Granit Xhaka, you know, he's, he's, he's unbelievable. And the players they've got, the side they've got, they're playing fantastic football and I'm taking nothing away from them. But there's two massive things that I think are going to work against them. And that's, first of all, the the injuries are going to pile up. So far this season, they've, they've been fairly lucky with injuries, but the injuries are going to pile up. And they are deficient in some areas where if they lose a key player, they haven't got an obvious replacement for them. You know, if they lose Jacker, who's going to step into that mould? You know, they lose um, Gabriel Jesus, who's going to step into that mould straight away? Eddie Nketiah, is he going to be as prolific? I know Jesus has dropped off a little bit, but in that first run of games, it was unbelievable. Um, so I think they have got a little bit of a problem there. And I think the second problem, and I don't want to take away from Arteta because... You know, in that All or Nothing documentary, if anybody's seen it, he comes across like the nicest bloke you'll ever wish to meet. But he's not got that experience that when the going really gets tough in those moments, Pep's been there and done that. This is like, you know, it's his his bread and water. It's, it's, It's nothing to Pep. But I don't think Mikel Arteta's got the experience to handle it when it goes down the stretch. And I don't think they've got the squad depth to be able to compete with Man City. So, to be honest, I think Man City are going to canter the league probably by about 10, 15 points.
2: Squad depth I agree with, but don't you think that from sitting alongside Guardiola, going through those sort of motions with him, witnessing how it happens 1st has given him enough experience? That- no,
0: no, because I think it's okay sitting there and, and, and seeing it, and that's brilliant, and that's, you know, he's had the best apprenticeship, putting out cones for Pep, that anybody could possibly have in coaching. But, you know... When you're the person making the decisions, it's a completely different kettle of fish. Completely different kettle of fish.
2: I agree with you in the aspect that if there are injuries, that it's going to be Man City's to lose. But I, I think that if they can if they can stay fit, I think Arsenal are winning the Premier League this year. I think this is set up to be their year. Those forward three, Jesus hasn't been scoring you right. And if Jesus doesn't play, they're going to be looking at Enketia. But Martinelli has been performing quite well. Saka's still performing quite well. I think from a forward three, regardless of whether it's Jesus or not, yeah, it won't be as effective. But I still think they'll have enough about them to go out and grind those points. And defensively, they're doing quite well as well. Um, They've been keeping clean sheets. to get important matches. I think so far they've beaten Liverpool. They've beaten Chelsea. Um, I think the game against Man City got postponed, if I remember right. They've been beating some of the uh bigger sides in in the Premier League so I think if they can stay healthy there's no reason why Arsenal can't go on and win the Premier League and it could be student beats teacher sort of story for Arteta couldn't it? Do
0: you fancy a waiver on that one? Waiver? Wager? What are you thinking? I don't know if you think Arsenal are going to win the Premier League I will bet you you know quite a bit of money that they won't and that Manchester City will
2: Well it depends on what we're talking because I'm not I'll give you
0: decent odds as well we'll talk about it after the show I'll give it. you decent odds on that
2: let's do that then Skin we'll get your opinion whilst uh, whilst we consider a bet
1: uh, I think Arsenal have been absolutely brilliant this season I've watched four or five of their games I didn't watch the Chelsea game at the weekend but I've watched four or five of their games so far this year and, and I think they've been brilliant as I said they've been known for a very long time now as bottle jobs as a team that plays fancy football but can't get job done and that is absolutely not the case so far this season. Um, you're absolutely right in what you said there Adam, uh, they were meant to play Man City October 19th but it was postponed due to the cancelled games after the Queen's death so that's not been announced or rescheduled yet and they're due to play I think towards the back end of the season and in the second fixture I want to say end of March but I might be wrong on that so that will be a huge game when that comes up but assuming that they play the first game before that that's going to be a massive test for Arsenal in terms of how they really are they've beaten good teams already but ultimately City are the team to beat so that'll be a very very good game but I have to agree with Kemp City still win relatively comfortably I'd go 8-12 to points and and I think that will come down to the the depth that they've got in the squad because Arsenal get two or three little niggly injuries, players out for two, three, four weeks. I think that's when they might start to fall apart a little bit because I don't think they've got a huge amount behind that sort of first eleven to thirteen, fourteen names that they'd have on the team sheet.
2: What do you think? A couple of signings away from from being serious contenders.
1: Yeah, definitely. But again, in terms of starting eleven, there's there's not a huge amount of sort of focus. Maybe someone in the middle of the park, um, you know, that would be starting every week. But again, I don't think they need to worry too much on on that starting eleven. It is just purely the depth on the bench and, and what cover they've got should they get those couple of injuries that let's face it, they will get over the season. It happens to everybody, but the teams that end up towards the top are the ones that can cover that. You know, Liverpool have struggled this season because they've had a lot of injuries. And they've got to the point where they can't back it up. United at the weekend had, you know, four or five players that are usually that starting eleven out and they've really stalled. So yeah, it, it it will come down to squad depth. And if you look at all the teams across the league, especially that top four, City have got the best squad by an absolute country mile. So for me it's it's them all over.
2: They've got the best squad, but like up against Fulham, I mean, they're reliant on, on Haaland, and I'm, I'm not going to say he's a bad person to be reliant on because he's obviously phenomenal. He's proven that time and time again. Um, but to go up against Fulham, go down to 10 men and be reliant on a 95th-minute penalty t- to even get three points out of it, them sort of performances... I'm, it's not going to be the Man City every single week, is it? But them sort of performances aren't going to get you anywhere close. Arsenal seem to be confident controlling possession controlling the game on a consistent basis so there's nothing saying that if those injuries did come in there's nothing stopping Arsenal from already having a reasonable lead ahead of Man City at that point
0: so what Added, I say on that sorry sorry on. Dawson to interrupt but what I would say on that is when you listen to pundits and people talking about what champions are made of and that's the mark of champions and that's a sign of champions to me and I don't know if you'll agree. That's when you win games when you're not playing that well.
2: Yeah, you grind 100%, out. Points. And that's what City, I was going to say. They won
0: that game. They weren't playing that well, but they won that game and they got three points. And they oh, they God. didn't cover themselves in glory. You know, they 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 battered Fulham in, and they still looked like the better team when they were down to ten men. They didn't put the ball in the back of the net until yeah. they did. And they were hundred
1: hundred percent agree. And that's what I was going to say is that you said that there, Adam. Fair enough, they played Fulham, but let's face it, Fulham had a good season and I don't think it really matters who you're playing they went down to 10 men with a lot of time left in the game they conceded a goal and made it 1-1 I'm not being funny but 80% of teams have been defensive and tried to take that one chance on the break or whatever it might have been City were still the better side and, and like Kevin said they just didn't manage to get the ball in that Harlan and had a goal ruled out for offside but they were still attacking they were still pressing and they still won the game at the end of the day with one less man so yeah, I completely disagree with that. Sorry, they they just didn't care. To be honest, that they were down to ten men, they just carried on, didn't change the game plan or anything.
2: Just did it the Man City way. Okay, then with five minutes left before we start talking about uh, the NFL, one quick question for both of you: give me your reasons for it as well. We've got five minutes left. Your um, your surprise team in the Premier League this season, or your team of the season so far, heading in towards the the, the World Cup break me In and I know I've, said,
0: I've yeah no for me I've I've said um I know I've mentioned that I'm I don't think Arsenal will go all the way but it has to be Arsenal you know they they're, they're absolutely brilliant and I expected them to be better than last season they've re- you know they seem to have recruited pretty well with obviously Gabriel Jesus being the obvious one Ben White's playing out of his skin um jackal like I say a different player but you know there's got to be Arsenal you look at them and the top of the league and you think you know, compared to the side they were last season, when they, especially towards the end of the season where they bottled it, um, you look at them now and and they're flying. Um, do I think they'll win the league? No, I don't. But I think you know if they can get top two, top three, and and they can maybe add a bit of silverware, I think this has been a fantastic season and it's most definitely been a fantastic start for Arsenal. So I'd I'd say Arsenal.
1: Um, I'm going to go Newcastle. Now I know they've got the owners and the money and blah 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 but they haven't spent a huge amount yet they've made some very very good signings i know they spent a lot of money on, on isaac the, uh, the the swedish forward from sociedad but he's missed the last seven games he's only played three games for them um and i, I think they've been absolutely brilliant they're third in the table um point above Tottenham. they've only conceded 11 goals in the 14 games they've scored 28 so they're averaging two a game just looking at the last few games now, um, they won 4-1 against Southampton at the weekend. They beat New- uh, Villa 4-0 before that. Uh, they won 2-1 away to Tottenham the game before that. One before that at Everton. So they've won their last four. Before that, they drew 0-0 at United. Before that, they beat New- uh, sorry Brentford 5-1. Before that, they beat Fulham 4-1. So they've won, what, 2-4-6? They've won six out of the last eight games. They've drawn the other two. For me, they're the team of the season so far. With, and again, I know they've got the money. I know they've got the signers that they want to sign. But without Eddie Howe getting them playing with still a lot of the same team that they've had over the last season or two, I think is absolutely brilliant. And for me, he's, he's manager of the season so far, and uh, Newcastle team of the season. What about yourself, Adam?
2: I were originally going for uh, Newcastle. But whilst looking at the league table, I've come across Brighton who look like they're a little bit higher than uh, most people would have expected. And some of the sides that they've beaten, they've even lost their manager within that as well. He's gone to Chelsea. And now you look they beat Chelsea by four goals to one. They took a point away from Anfield. They they've beaten some strong sides and they've been getting okay, defensively they're not great, but at the end of the day they're scoring more goals, and the likes of Trossard and Gross are just contributing like consistently for them. Beating Chelsea four one. Uh, Getting a point away against Liverpool, those sort of results, 5-2 at home to Leicester back in September, beating them sort of sides that that are uh, uh, very strong contenders for top half, edging towards maybe European football, Um, beating those sides that are going to be in and around you in the league table, I think is going to play a big part in why they're going to be definitely within European football come the end of the season. I think next season we will see Brighton in Europe. Despite the fact the manager's gone and they've lost uh, Buccarello as well, there's potential that they could also lose uh, multiple other players in January. That's what normally happens when these sort of teams start performing. I think the the sort of football they've been playing hasn't changed since the managers left and they've continued to get these sort of results. And it speaks volumes when they're up in sixth place. The game in hand over fourth, they could go within two points of top four when everyone's played the same amount of games. And I I think they deserve a uh, shout out for that Kemp.
0: Yeah, um I agree, I do agree. I think the new manager's not been in post for for that long. So I think some of that residual momentum from obviously the the start there with Potter can um can can sort of carry over. Um But taking nothing away from them. Brighton have been a fantastic side and a really well run football club for the past few years. What I would say to that is, I do think if they do qualify for Europe, whether it be the Conference League or the Europa League, I honestly think that would be the worst thing that could happen to them. Um, You know, Burnley. You see a lot of, of of clubs that qualify for that sort of competition. Wolves been an example, you know. I think the Wolves played sixty plus games a couple of seasons ago um, when they were in the Europa League or the Conference League and, and the league as well. So, yeah, bright and fantastic. But I think they need to be very wary and careful what they wish for because if they do qualify for European football, they need to be willing to put their hand in the pocket and um, and, and subsidise that with a with a very big squad because that's what you're going to need.
2: I think that's where the expectation that we mentioned earlier of Liverpool breaking into that top seven, getting into European football, then obviously Brighton will drop out. It's your typical top seven, isn't it? Arsenal, Man City, Newcastle, Tottenham, Man U, Chelsea and Liverpool then. And then you've got the other sides that are kind of making that up. It'd still have that sort of like fairytale feel, wouldn't it? If the likes of Brighton or Fulham made it into, uh, into Europe. It would,
0: it would. But it's also interesting that you say top seven because for the past few years, it's been top six. And the fact that Newcastle have put themselves in a position where now everybody's saying top seven, you know, that's just an indictment of how fantastically well Newcastle have done this season. And just to very briefly touch on Dawson's point before we continue, you know, he mentioned there Newcastle having a great start to the season. And yeah, obviously the ownership model and, and the money they've spent, they've been very pragmatic with the signings that they've made. You know, when Man City, yeah. got, to, when Man City got taken over, you know, Rubinho. You know, when Chelsea got taken over, I don't know their first big signing was, but you know it was Shevchenko and all these massive, massive signings that um, that these these guys bring in to really put a statement on the fact that they've been bought. Not been that at all. You know, they've made signings that they've they've wanted to make. The recruitment's been spot on, and they've been really well run. And I think that's a um, a massive, massive compliment to to how well Newcastle have done so far this season, and uh, a prime example of that going back to you Adam or, or Dawson and if you want to pitch in um being that you know they've 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 changed the the perception of it's not top 6 anymore and Adam you've just summed it up perfectly there top
2: 7 100% yeah absolutely they've kind of forced themselves into the top 7 really haven't they settled themselves into the top 4 in a great position to push on i don't think they're going to be challenging for the championship but at the end of the day how many Newcastle fans before the season started will sit there and tell you they're more than happy to be in the Champions League next season, regroup and and obviously add more signings at the end of the season, prepare yourself for next season. Like you say, they've got the financial backing to do it. That's the difference between them and Brighton, I think, at the moment. If Brighton were to make Europe, they've not got the financial backing to be able to make them extra signings, to give them that depth, to be able to play multiple competitions, both European and domestic. Newcastle do, and I think that'll be the difference maker between the two sides. We're going to move on to talking about the NFL and there's plenty of talking points from the weekend that's just gone. But first, an introduction to why we support the teams that we do. Kemp, we'll start with you, a New York Giants fan.
0: New York Giants fan, indeed, for my sins, yeah. So, um, started with the Patriots' potential perfect season. Um, they have gone, I think, for the first time in God knows how many years, since the 70s, I think it was. The New York, the New England Patriots had completed a perfect season and were in the Super Bowl huge favourites against the New York Giants um, and, uh, and and everybody it seemed to me on Sky Sports and everywhere else wanted the New England Patriots to win and to complete this perfect season um, I on the other hand whether it be just wanting to be a bit of a contrarian or just being a bit of a dick um, wanted the, the New York Giants to win so stayed up um, watched the game and and yeah unbelievable game it was um, and, and saw the New York Giants uh, win a Super Bowl, something I've not seen for a very, very long
2: time. Excellent. And moving on to Skin, who is a New England Patriots fan?
1: Yeah, it just broke my heart. Reminded me of that uh, that Super Bowl back in well, it was 2008 season. The Super Bowl itself. It, was. it was in 2009. Um, it was the first Super Bowl that I ever watched live. I've been a Patriots fan for a couple of seasons up until that point. Um, But obviously with the momentum, with the hype, with the coverage it was getting, obviously not being as big over here as it is now at the time, you know, I really, really, really got into it. And yeah, Giants broke my heart. David Tyree, helmet catch. Still to this day, all these years later, the best play that I've ever seen. Not even necessarily for the catch, but how Eli didn't get sacked on that play, I will never, ever know. But it's just one of those things that happened. And then again, what, three years later, they did it again. Um, so yeah, Tom Brady, sporting hero, what can I say, I've got a tattoo of him on my leg, I mean my son after him, he's an absolute goat, forever will be as well, um, but yeah, different times now at the minute, a bit of a transition period these last couple of seasons, but overall I'm, I'm still happy to be a New England
0: Patriots fan, am not quite converted to the books yet.
2: Excellent, and we welcome... It's coming, it's coming. <laughs> we yeah. welcome Mudge, good afternoon Mudge. Hello, mate. You are right? Very good, thank you. It's ideal that you join us just in time to start talking about uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. So I'll let you just give us a rundown as to why you started supporting them.
3: Um, I will start my story where Kemp and Skin started off. So obviously my first ever NFL game I watched was that Giants-Patriots game. And I didn't really understand what was going on. And then ironically, the next American football game I watched after that was a rematch where the Giants took that. Uh, went two and two against the Patriots. So, yeah, I uh, was watching watched those two games and didn't really kind of understand what was going on. It was until I kind of watched the Seahawks uh, Patriots Super Bowl, where obviously uh, that heartbreaking interception by Malcolm Butler on Russell Wilson kind of uh, intrigued me a little bit. So, um, yeah, I have chosen the Eagles because my favorite film is Silver Linings Playbook and uh, yeah that film obviously starts jennifer lawrence of bradley cooper hopefully we don't get done for copyright but uh yeah i uh, fell in love with that film and that film was heavily based around the eagles um and how it kind of helped uh, bradley cooper's character through his uh, kind of mental episode so yeah i followed us uh, when we were really bad and then two seasons later we won the super bowl so um yeah it's been a bit of topsy-turvy experience being an eagles fan but um yeah, I think that's pretty much uh, pretty much how I uh, started supporting the Eagles and uh, here we are 8 and 0 boat season and uh yeah, having the time of my life watching my team roll out
2: Potentially, a chance to see a second Super Bowl for them. Um, Similar to Kemp for myself for the Seahawks, it was just when I was at university, Seahawks played Broncos in the Super Bowl, never seen an American football game before, didn't really have too much interest in it up until then. Everybody was saying that the Broncos were going to win, there's no way the Seahawks are going to win. So, to be that guy, I went for the Seahawks and they won. Um, didn't really pay too much attention until about three, four years ago when Skin asked me to join fantasy football and advised that I watch Red Zone and my life was changed forever. Um, and I was asked what team I'm going to support. I went for the Seahawks, thought I'd stick with it. Um, and there we go. From there, being a Seahawks fan, seeing Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner go and now we're at 6-3 and three and surprising everybody as it is. Um, Plenty of talking points then to bring up from the weekend just gone. We will start with the Umudge and the Eagles being 8-0. From an Eagles supporter, an Eagles fan, is there a way to beat them?
3: Um, It's a weird one. I think uh, this year we were poised to go into this season being a really young but kind of a team with good potential. So I expected us, to be honest, to at this point be around five and three, maybe four and four even. Um, I think there are two main factors as to why we're doing really well. It's our turnover differential. So I think we're sitting at 14. Um, so what that basically means is we're not turning over the ball and we're causing turnovers on our defence. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of tilted towards the right way where we're just stealing the ball and looking after it uh, on offence. And the second reason is our young quarterback in Jalen Hurts. I think he's been lights out. I think um, he's kind of heard the noise in the off seasons, um, you know, whether the Eagles should commit to him going forward. And uh, I think he's given us kind of, uh, yeah, no doubt in our minds as to who we're rolling with uh, moving on. I think he's been brilliant. He's looked off the ball really well and, uh yeah, uh, it's bizarre. Obviously, I watched the Eagles win it in two thousand, the two thousand seventeen season, thinking, and uh, we won't be seeing this for at least another ten years. And uh, here we are in twenty twenty two, potentially, you know, with with a chance to, you know, go deep into the playoffs. I'm not gonna lie, I I still don't think we're gonna make Super Bowl, uh, just because I think experience plays a big part in the playoffs. Uh, if we come up against the likes of uh, of a Tom Brady or a bogey team like the Seahawks I'd be very very uh yeah I'd be a bit worried about that but um yeah I think at this moment in time we're looking pretty much invincible and our schedule is uh, looking pretty tasty as well so seventeen zero coming up I reckon.
2: Very strong you've got the struggling Packers in there as well you get to face the Giants again so Kemp I'll bring you in on this one are you confident that the Giants who are in very good form themselves in a positive record as well, have every opportunity to go up against the Eagles and maybe cause a bit of an upset.
0: No, um, short answer there. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, we've we've had a great start and we've we've really um, sort of muscled through and, and hearted through some some games, um, but we've proven that when we come up against teams that really have got that little bit of extra quality. Um, you know the Seahawks have on, on defense, especially, have really got that little bit of extra quality, that little X factor that a lot of the other teams that we played against haven't got. And it was the same with the Cowboys. As soon as we come up against a team that really know what they're doing, they're organised, they're structured, and they've got you know a great a great game plan. Um, we're going to come unstuck. But you know that's 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 the way it is when we've had so many seasons under such a such bad stewardship when it comes to GMs and head coaches that. You know, Shane and 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 Dave all aren't going to turn it around in in one season. It's going to be a a couple of seasons, or two or three, you know, drafts and and free agencies to uh, to really get ourselves back in in prime position. But uh, I'm I'm in I'm in dreamland at the minute. You know, we're we're six and two and and, and we're living the dream. So uh, let's just keep it rolling. But to say that we're going to cause any upsets or do anything significant, I don't think so.
2: I think based upon how the rest of the NFC is doing at the moment, you're in a very strong position to still go on and make the playoffs, albeit not the Super Bowl or too much success in the playoffs. You still make it.
0: Yeah, I reckon we could definitely make it, uh, and that'd be great. You know, watching playoff football in New York for the first time in in God knows how long. But um, <clears throat> I'm just not expecting you know crazy things from from the Giants. I'm trying to be as cautiously optimistic as possible, um, but. You know we've got a favorable schedule you know let's see what we can do let's see if we can rough the eagles up and do a little bit of damage to them but uh yeah a couple of playoff games wild card game and uh and i, I would be happy with this season i must admit it's not very lofty ambitions and high expectations but i'm a giants fan so i'm not going to fall into that trap
2: you said about seeing playoff football for the first time in god knows how long in new york the Giants aren't the only ones that are uh, in a very strong position at the moment for making the playoffs. The Jets, also in a very similar position, just beat the Bills this last weekend. The Patriots are also in the AFC East, which brings me on nicely to uh, Skin talking about the fact that with a 5-4 and four record, it's not completely out of the window that you could still make the playoffs, but it's still very close within your division for winning the division.
1: Yeah, uh, I can't see it happening. Bills are the Bills and, and Jets have been fantastic this season. They they showed a lot of grit, a lot of determination to beat the Bills yesterday. Um if they if they scrape a wildcard spot, I'm not to be honest very confident that they'll get past that point. Um but like I said, nine games in, the winning records I think they're tracking better than what I, I thought. I think I had done that for this time of the season. I mean, I'll describe the Patriots at the minute in the same way that I've described Mac Jones in the season and a half, that he's been the quarterback. Efficient, but not very exciting, which I think kind of sums them up perfectly. They're getting the job done against teams that they shouldn't be beating, and then really struggling against teams that at the minute are are quite a bit better than them. So that's why if they do scrape a wild card spot, I have absolutely zero confidence that they'll get past that point. Made it last season, they got absolutely blown out by the Bills, and probably the most embarrassing playoff game in Patriots history.
2: If you're you have that little confidence in how you're going to perform when you're in the playoffs, yeah. would you say that there's probably a preference there that you don't make the playoffs, potentially for a better situation coming in the draft?
1: No, because Bills absolutely wank at drafting in the first round, so I don't really care to be honest. I think it's good for um Max Sort of career progression and his confidence in his ability in this in the franchise's confidence in his ability. So I'm not I'm not unhappy with a playoff spot and I'm not unhappy with the team. I'm just you know I think we've got to be realistic with where they're at at the minute. They've got some good pieces. They've got some good young players that they've took in sort of later rounds over the last couple of years. But I, I think they're, they're missing that extra piece or two. And um, to be honest, I can't quite put my finger on it i don't know if it's a you know a wide receiver problem still that maybe is is the issue they've got a lot of good names there but have they got anyone that's a real true out and out number one receiver i, I don't think so to be honest so and again mac is efficient not exciting. i think to be honest i think the, the issues or the things that need looking at run deeper than just what's on the field at the minute Mac Jones has got a defensive minded coach, not only as his head coach, but calling his plays. And I think if they're gonna take his progression and his development seriously, they really need to look at that and not just give it to someone that has been a part of the team before and knows the franchise. Need to look after some that invested a lot in and, and has shown potential when giving it to him. When McDaniels was there last year and he started to let him throw deep, he had one of the best uh, percentage completions for passes over 20 air yards so he's got it in him but as long as you've got a defensive minded coach calling offensive plays, it ain't ever going to happen so uh, my issues aren't really with what's on the field at
2: the minute Fair enough so let's have a look at what has been happening on the field this last weekend Mudge we'll start with you for your player of the week
3: my player of the week um, so although I want to shout out uh, Travis Etienne and uh, Kenneth Walker for helping yes. me hopefully secure a dub in, in my fancy league uh, against young Kempe. I am actually going to go a bit rogue and go with Cade Otten of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He, yes, on, boy. Yeah, he, um, he only went for 68 yards. He had five receptions, uh, but he sealed the game with the all-important last-minute touchdown, which was obviously thrown by Brady, but he was really important on that final drive. Um, he obviously caught a 28-yard um, kind of completion uh, leading up to the uh, to the final moments before Brady kind of completed to him in the end zone. So, yeah, shout out uh, K Dotson. He's uh, a bit of an unknown, but uh, I reckon he's a, a hero in Tampa today.
2: What's really gone on with the books in that game as well? They really struggled to to take the game to the rams i mean it was very close but i think a lot of that came down to the defense they didn't really get too much going on offense themselves until the final 50 seconds and tom brady just needed to do tom brady' stuff to get the win oh, it was unbelievable,
3: wasn't it, it was a, yeah it was a, i'm not in terms of quality standpoint it was a really poor game to watch um i think mcveigh and his coaching staff did really well basically hindering brady brady was definitely a, um, done a little bit dirty by his wide receivers with the drops as well. Mike Evans was doing really unlike Mike Evans' things and dropping passes uh, that he usually takes into to his basket. But, um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you give Brady 30 seconds to go 50 yards. There is not one man I'm trusting more to do that than Tom Brady. So,
2: And he, uh, he set the record, didn't he? Over 100,000 career passing yards, which is phenomenal within itself
1: the only man to ever do it and quite possibly will be the only man to ever do it especially in our
2: lifetime I think I saw something that said with the rate they're going at the moment, I think Justin Herbert would manage it when he's 43 Joe Burrow would manage it when he's 46 so two years younger for Herbert, a year older for Burrow, which again just tells you that the quarterbacks need to go on for that age to be able to reach that sort of uh, sort of achievement, Kemp we'll come over to you now for your player of the week
0: Tyreek Hill that's it. That's it. Harry Hill. That's it, Harry Hill. He's got a <laughs> lovely haircut. <laughs> um Tyreek Hill. Um he's proven for me that he, Mahomes needed him more than he needed Mahomes. Um he's really taken an offence that didn't knock your socks off and blow you away before he 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 joined it. To you know, proving that he's an absolute superstar wherever he goes, and I think he's what um, one of, if not the best, route runners. And obviously his speed is just next level. That's why he calls himself cheater. But no, yeah, Tyreek Hill for me, he's had a fantastic week. Um, and and long may it continue because actually I think he's a, a great receiver and I think um, he deserves great things.
2: The first to 1,000 receiving yards as well this season, and I believe this is the quickest that anybody's ever done it
0: and that's pretty apt for Tyreek Hill because he's the quickest man in the league, <laughs> I would say, by a, a long way. So, yeah, Tyreek Hill, there you go.
2: Understandable. Skin, I'm interested to hear yours because when I uh, mentioned that we are going to ask this question, you told me that you are going to go for somebody that nobody's gone for, and I've got four people listed on my sheet, and neither Kemp nor Mudge have gone for them.
1: Okay, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you go for yours first to see if you can um, clear one of those off, the- um, and then...
2: The one that I'm going for, um, I wrote down as a typical predicted Joe Mixon. Um, The first person in Cincinnati Bengals history to get five touchdowns within one game. Uh, 22 rushing attempts, 153 yards, four touchdowns on the ground, one receiving touchdown as well. Um, The Bengals were in control from the very beginning in that game and Joe Mixon just turned up for it, didn't he? I think it was over like 50 points in uh, fantasy as well
1: yeah 53 and normally 55 in ppr which i'll know because i've got them in both so thank you very much joe if you ever come across this discussion
2: i think very worthwhile of uh, player of the week for me there <laughs> Yeah, i, I think so <laughs> um i've uh,
1: in terms of trying to go a bit different i think with a player of the week you know mix and i think has to be the the outright player of the week but where's the fun in saying the same people that but the same player that everyone else is going to be talking about and saying. So I'm going to give a little bit of love to the defensive side of the ball, because none of you three did. Now I'm going to go Matthew Judon of my New England Patriots. He got three sacks against the Indianapolis Colts yesterday, and he now sits as the league sack leader, and he's three ahead of Nick Bosa, who's in second. So a little bit of a shout-out and a little bit of love for what he's producing so far this season.
2: Understandable. Uh, the other names that I'd got down on my list, honorary mentions, if you will, as uh, Mudge likes to call them. Um, I'd got Kenneth <laughs> Walker, that was probably a little bit biased. Um, Source Gardner, I'd got him on there as yep. well. Interception um, against oh, the Bills, man. and of course the game winning pack down at the very end. Um, seven tackles throughout the game as well. Um, and I'd got Justin Fields in there as well. Um, yeah. I think he had a, yeah. an incredible game um, turning things around for the Bears. Didn't quite get the win, but gave a very good statement that uh, people have been doubting him so far this season. So they were the extra three that I'd got written down um, if I was Always. moving away from That's uh, our thing. yeah, moving yep. away from uh, Joe Mixon. Big fan of uh, how I'm including Kenneth Walker in absolutely anything that I can give praise to so far this season. Um, with the way he's come out as well. Um, Moving on to the MVP race. So we are now at the halfway point of the season. So this is what I think is going to cause the biggest debate. Um, So we're going to start by looking at uh, the top three that you have in uh, the MVP race so far. Mudge, we'll start with yourself.
3: My top three are, I'll go in order. And uh, I had Alan top before this week. Now, I am definitely not saying... Hertz is well ahead, but I'd say Hertz has edged himself slightly ahead purely because the Philadelphia Eagles are unbeaten and Hertz has been pretty efficient. Um, I, I think I'm going to drop Allen to third, actually, because I think Patrick Mahomes has been under the radar a little bit this season. And I think we're used to him being so unbelievable that whenever he's just playing like this, we just think it's the norm. But Patrick Mahomes as number two and Allen at three, I think those three are literally as close as it gets. I, I would not be surprised if, you know, if if we were to lose maybe next week, Hurts drops down to two. But I reckon that those are the three unanimous picks. I, I cannot think of anyone else outside of those three that uh, are in that race at this moment in time. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to be a little bit biased. But, yeah, it's uh, it's hurt season, baby. To be honest, I think everybody's going
0: to be saying the same three players in different order. Um, Have you got the same thing. I'm not. Are you? Okay. Okay. Dawson's not. So I'll I'll keep mine nice and brief. Um, I think Josh Allen will be the MVP. Um, Jalen Hurts has been unbelievable. He's played so much better than 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 anybody expected him this season, and and I could not and would not complain if he was the MVP. But I think. Um, Josh Allen has just got about a little bit more experience down the stretch when he's playing against smarter defences. I think he'll be able to um, pick the right pass and, and make the right decision maybe more often than Hurts, taking nothing away from him. Um, in second, I am going to go with Hurts. I think he's, like I say, been outstanding this season and and being better than anybody predicted, but, but I don't think it's going to be quite enough. Um, and, And I do agree that Mahomes has gone, you know, under the radar this season because, you know, compared to his normally unbelievable standards, he's not been, you know, quite as good, but still elite quarterback. Absolutely. So same top three, different order. Very boring, but apologies.
2: I've gone pretty much the same as well. I've gone Jalen Hurts first, though, Josh Allen second, and then Patrick Mahomes in third. So exact same people just in a different order to both of you so Skin, we'll move on to yours because yours is a different personnel
1: yeah so Hurts uh, and Allen I have to agree are sort of tied they're sort of 1A and 1B as opposed to 1 and 2 but you've got to put Hurts as currently the, the leader of that race considering the fact that they are unbeaten I do think the league would still vote for Allen though you know, we don't need to talk anymore. Everyone knows what he's producing. Everyone knows how he's leading that team and how he's turned that whole franchise around, to be honest. So, um, yeah, Hurts and, and Alan are up there. Personally, I think it is Hurts at the moment with, uh, with the Eagles record. But the the third person on my list, and it's not someone that is going to win MVP because of the reason that will be obvious when I tell you it is, but it has to be Derek Henry for me. Um, Ooh, in the, in the like last... I've got some stats to back up for why. So okay. in the last three weeks, Tennessee Titans quarterbacks, whether that's Ryan Tannehill three weeks ago or Malik Willis over the last two weeks, but in the last three weeks, Titans quarterbacks have a combined total of 24 completed passes for a total of, uh, let me just work this out, uh, two around 260 yards. That's in the last three weeks. Three weeks ago, or two weeks ago, sorry, should I say, they won nineteen ten. Last week they won seventeen ten. And then last night they took Chiefs overtime before losing to a field goal twenty seventeen. To do that across three separate weeks with a combined total of twenty four completed passes and around two hundred and sixty passing yards is ridiculous. And that is all down to the the yards and the pounding and the touchdowns that Derrick Henry is getting, getting them over these last few weeks. So I think he has to be in the conversation when you think about what MVP stands for and, and what it means and what it's all about.
3: Yeah, I, uh, I, I can't fault you on that. I think if we're talking MVP, the reason I stray away from, I think it's always QB friendly the the MVP conversation, isn't it? I yeah. think Derek Henry is probably out of all the running backs or any other position outside of QB, probably one of the most deserving players um, ever for for an MVP award. But I just think in terms of the way the voting set out, it's so QB friendly. It's just difficult. I think the prime example is uh, Jonathan Taylor uh, last year put the Colts uh, team on his back, and um, yeah, I mean in the end they still went Rogers. I think it's just a serious uphill climb for for any position outside of QB to, to win the MVP unless you're doing kind of otherworldly numbers. And I think Henry is doing that, but if he continues that for, say, the next uh, nine weeks, then, uh, yeah, I think he, he could probably have a shout, but I think it's just so QB friendly. It's just difficult to kind of stray away from that formula. Yeah, I agree, which is what I said. I don't think, you know, he's never going to win it because he's a running back. But
1: when you think about what the MVP means, it's the most valuable player. It's it's the player that makes the biggest difference to their team. It, you know, yes, you take Alan out of Buffalo and they're going to be a completely different team. The team they were before he came along and what they've been the last few seasons, you, you know, is testament to what he's put into that. Hurts, you know, they're unbeaten off the back of his fantastic play. But also the fantastic play of, of those around him as well and, and on the defensive side of the ball you, you know you saw what Tennessee did when henry was injured towards the end of last season they they fell off a cliff they somehow got the number one seed and they were just they were never a threat so yeah, yeah. just if if we if we're looking at the definition of mvp he's got to be in the conversation for me because again to have gone two and one over the last three weeks and that loss being an overtime loss against the chiefs with 24 combined passes, and not even 300 passing yards is is insane, and it's a, it's all down to him.
0: I think the problem is with the MVP racing. Mudge mentions how friendly it is and how heavy it is based towards QBs. Could check me on this one, but I think the last time a non-QB won it was in 2012. It was Adrian Peterson, and yeah. that just shows you, you know, the amount of unbelievable players that have played in the league for the past 10 years. And it's been QB, 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 QB. So it's it's understandable. I get it. It's the most important position on the on the field. But at the same time, it would be nice to see you know these star running backs putting up these unbelievable numbers and winning these games for their teams. Um, you know, there's three wins there that you well two wins and, and a very close loss that you can put solely on 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 the running backs um, on the running backs head. So um, I understand what you're saying and I do agree, but. that's just the way of the sport and the
2: way of the world isn't it Yeah I think based upon the teams that they've got in their division as well they're pretty much set to go into the playoffs you've got to look at the Colts the Jags the Texans none are really pulling up any trees and with Malik Willis or or with Tannehill Derrick Henry keeps on producing the way he's producing they're definitely going into the playoffs and I think you've said it before to me Kemp that they're not going to do anything in the playoffs but they're going to get themselves there so there's nothing stopping Henry from maybe being looked at more for offensive The I know it's not the same obviously as winning the MVP but there's still that option there
3: I, I just want to mention that the last running back to win the MVP award was actually Lamar Jackson in 2019 um, <laughs> <laughs> Shout out my boy Liam for
2: that. He'll, uh, he'll like that one.
1: Get your facts right, Camp and Future. Please.
2: <laughs> no comment. Last nice one, brother. No, comment. no, no. I
0: just, I, I just, I wanted a, an, an intelligent retort. Um, <laughs> I don't think I can give you one. Um, you came to the wrong yeah, guy. I did, I did. But <laughs> no, yeah, I, um, uh, I meant for myself more than anything. I just, I, I don't see Lamar Jackson as, as a running back because I don't think I've ever seen any a running back fumble the ball that many times. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I hope Liam leaves. Listen, to this is going to be seething. Yeah, he's going to he's thinking it's talk spot, He's going to be ringing one of us to come back to us. I'm like we're not live anymore, mate. It's pre-recorded.
3: I feel like our, uh, our uh, co-host Sam would be in his element uh, on this topic, but. He's currently enjoying himself in uh, Orlando, so uh, yeah, he's missed out on this one. Yeah, but he yeah, can't wait sucks, to come sucks back sucks and him. start
2: talking about this and uh, his own quarterback in Aaron Rodgers and what's going wrong with uh, Green Bay. So we'll have a quick, brief discussion about what is happening in Green Bay at the moment. They've gone from a side with a quarterback that got uh, the MVP two consecutive years and at the moment he just seems to be struggling to get anything going. Where's that all going wrong for Green Bay?
3: They're just fucking
2: shit. <laughs> like, well, that's that then. There, uh, I think,
3: I, I think we can all agree, right? Aaron Rodgers is undoubtedly a first ballot Hall of Famer. Like he is one of the greatest QBs to have ever played the game. Yeah, he is. He's been very underwhelming in the playoffs. Don't get me wrong. I just think he is in a situation like this. You need, especially in that position, you need a quarterback to elevate the play around you. I yeah. think he's just such a terrible teammate. He's just yeah. not, the, not the leader that you need on that team. And there's a lot of finger pointing from his side. But to be honest, his play has been pretty much subpar. He's, I think he's through three picks yesterday, um, which I think is the most he's thrown in uh, God knows how long. But he is usually so careful with the ball. And this year he's just been he's just been a bit off, off, I think. And I get it, he's obviously our... Current reigning MVP, but rest assured, he will not be in the running for, for that award this year. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I I think a lot of it points towards Rogers. I think Lafleur's play calling might be questioned a little bit, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, if anyone else wants to chime in on why you think, no, uh,
1: I I'd, I'd just like to brag about my bold prediction being Rogers to not get a single uh,
0: MVP uh, MVP vote this season. So yeah, I'll. Uh, I mean, oh, looking goodness. back at that now, and you you often do when it comes to bold predictions. When you look back at that, it's crazy to even think that that was a bold prediction. Looking at that now, but it was, and it was absolutely legitimate. You know, with him with him being the MVP, um, in in incumbent coming into the season. I think yeah. the big thing with Aaron Rodgers is his mentality thing more than anything else. And you know, he's 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 not got that many weapons at wide receiver. He's not yeah. got that many options. And I think the toys just keep getting thrown out the pram you know he's he's looking outward every single time something doesn't go his way it's outward it's somebody else's fault it's not my fault it's the play calling it's this it's not i've not got you know weapons you know ultimately accountability you know take it upon yourself look at yourself in the mirror um and he's not doing that and um when you've got young receivers and young players around you um that's that's the last thing you need
2: yeah doesn't look to be getting any easier for him with the the schedule upcoming as well. They've got Dallas this weekend, fresh off the back of a bye. Then they've got the Titans. Then they've got the Eagles, who by that point could easily be ten and zero. Uh, then the Bears. Then they're back on a bye again. But even against the Bears, they didn't look too too comfortable, did he? At, at that point. And like you say, he's got no nobody to be able to to really throw the ball to. So it begs the question: Is there a chance that this is the last year that we see Aaron Rodgers in the NFL?
3: Definitely not, no. I think uh, it might be the last year we see him in Green Bay. I reckon trade talks might heat up, and I think the relationship might be past uh, salvaging. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously they they paid him; they've kind of extended him to a hefty contract. But yeah, I think Green Bay have to to make a big decision here. Um, They've obviously stuck by twelve and told him, you know, we we want you to kind of lead the future for the next two three years, but. I don't know. Do you give him one more season after this to kind of show he can do it again, or do you do you rebuild and start fresh?
1: It doesn't look like he wants it, mate, does it? Like you said it himself. You said it yourself, sorry, in terms of the the team player that he is. Like you, you said, he was one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game, and I absolutely agree in terms of talent. But you look at him compared to Brady, and, and some of the, you know, the the offensive sort of pieces that Brady had with him at, at times. New England Patriots and he still performed he still pulled them through he, he still rallied and that might have been with an arm around the shoulder and a motivation it might have been with you know getting pissed off and honest with him as he's done recently with with the books but you know ultimately he he pulled the team through with him and not you know it seems to be the opposite with Rogers, where it's like either you're on my level or I don't care and not yeah. like a. I know you're not on my level. I know the kind of player that I am. I know I'm missing pieces, but I'm gonna I'm gonna drag you through, you know, to the yeah. level that I need you to be at. And it it just it's never seemed to have been there with Rogers. And I think it it shows a lot about a player's how they react when they're put in that position. And Rodgers has not looked great at all this season so far.
3: Do you think that the Packers should sit him for Jordan Love? No. You've got to consider as well. They obviously brought in Jordan Love, thinking he'd be the successor to uh, Rogers, but he's probably been the most uh, expensive uh, backup uh, I think we've ever seen in the in the league. So, yeah, yeah I think that Packers um, franchise is in uh, a bit of turmoil at the moment. And uh, yeah, I feel um, I feel a, a, a little bit. It's, it's a tough tough situation being a Packers fan. Uh, but if you're in Orlando, like my boy Sam, enjoying it. Hopefully, it softens the blow um, of of what's going on in uh, in Wisconsin right now.
2: I saw a comment that might have been off the back of one one of you guys uh, shared about why not sit Aaron Rodgers? Why not get some of the the rookies and the younger? Uh, roster players in, see what they've got and and prepare for a rebuild. If things don't improve in the next four games leading into their bye for the final four games of the season, do you think it's a very realistic chance that if there is potential that Rodgers moves on at the end of the season, that they do give Jordan Love a chance and, and maybe give A.J. Dillon a, a chance as the lead running back to see what they've got. Well, not necessarily with A.J. Dillon, they already know what they've got there, but, uh, you know, like a third-choice running back or maybe different wide receivers just to give a chance. And if, if the opportunity is gone for them to be able to make the playoffs, why not?
3: I think, um, I think they're moving on from Jones, personally, anyway. Aaron Jones, their starting running back. I think they will move on from him next season. Um, I just think that's purely because of a cap hit situation. Uh, I think if they did start Jordan Love towards the end of the year, um, then that's pretty much curtains for Rogers. Uh, that's basically an indication of, look, let's see what this guy can do. And uh, yeah, Rogers is going to be like, well, you know, I'm uh, I'm happy to take my talents elsewhere. So yeah, I think uh, I, I I would like I think that's a good move if they did play the, the rookies at the end of the season, get them some good game time. It worked wonders with uh, Mahomes, um, you know, for example, when uh, Smith uh, kind of set out the, the final game of the season, Mahomes, although he didn't play particularly well, he got that experience. And, um, you know, I don't think that, I'm not saying that game was necessarily uh, kind of helped him go to, kind of have an MVP season uh, the following year, but I think you need to get used to the uh, the pace of the game. So, yeah, the more time you get, the better
2: just before we do move on to speaking about the MMA and boxing um, with Kemp um, plenty of trades happened on trade deadline last week didn't have a chance to go through them all so just one that stood out for you that really made an impact this weekend that's just gone it might have not
3: made a big impact but I like the Kadarius Tony trade just to, to the Chiefs um, there's obviously an attitude situation there I don't think the Giants would have pulled the plug on him easily, but um, from his college tape, he is one of the most. He's an unbelievable route runner, I think, and we saw that on on Sunday. He got two targets, um, but uh, you know, one of his receptions, he was he just ran in inside zig, and he just looked so clean. I think he'll be good for for Mahomes. They're, they're obviously loading up on wide receiver to help him out as much as possible.
0: I like the Kadarius Tony trade for the Giants. Um, yeah, listen, he's got a, a fantastic quarterback now that he's, he's, he's playing for. Uh, Jones is is not that. Um, he's been very efficient with the ball this season. He's been great. He's been very careful. And that's in previous seasons. He's been very guilty of, of not being that. Um, but, but yeah, there, there was an attitude problem. And, you know, let's take a couple of draft picks. Let's, you know, rebuild. And like I say, earlier when we talked about the Giants, realm wasn't built in a day. I think it's a smart trade for all parties um, and it gives us a few more options next year uh, going into the draft. So, uh, so yeah, I'm
2: happy with that. Skin, from the trade deadline, a trade that really stood out for you, perhaps a performance that's just happened this weekend, any individual?
1: Maybe not one that stood out um, this weekend as instant impact, but Chase Claypool going to uh, to Bears, I think that's really going to help Fields' development even more.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, I do remember someone who actually did pretty well for their new team is uh, Jeff Wilson. Um, Now we mention it. Um, He was always a kind of like a backup player for Sam Fran. And uh, yeah, he looked really good for the Dolphins. Um, And uh, I think Hawkinson as well has got a bright future at the Vikings with the scheme they run. So yeah, uh, uh, I think obviously the, the the uh, the standouts probably McCaffrey for, for San Fran, isn't it? I think that's probably going to be the the most uh, kind of uh, impactful trade out of all of them. I'd say
2: perfect hat trick yeah. on his debut, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, he's just he's just a special breed, isn't he? When used well.
2: Just a quick prediction on tonight's game, then the Saints against um, Ravens. The Ravens.
1: Ravens win by ten. Ooh, I think it'll be a bit of a shit game to be honest I'm not expecting anything that's overly exciting or much to talk about come tomorrow morning if I'm being there uh, quite
3: honest yeah. with you but, I'd say Ravens win and an Isaiah Likely touchdown who's going to replace Mark Andrews who's out through injury so yeah expecting an Isaiah Likely touchdown
0: Getting back on yeah. Liam's good side I think Ravens will win tonight I think they'll win fairly comfortably I'd probably agree actually bad by 10 with, with Dawson and I think Lamar Jackson will have a good game so apologies Liam and I've made up for it well,
2: did did you just say for once maybe <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to agree and say the Ravens win I, I need Alvin Kamara to get fewer than uh, 17 fantasy points for me to, today though for me to get a win so hopefully it will be a dominant performance and a win for the Ravens Um Kemp I'm going to cross over to you now so you can uh, discuss MMA and boxing at length
0: yeah, so thanks, Adam. Uh, I'm going to move on to a bit of boxing now, and then a bit of MMA, uh, and I'm going to probably lean on my glamorous assistants, Mujib and Dawson, uh, just to add little bits and pieces as and where they want to. So, just a little bit of news on on the boxing side of things. Dmitry Bivol uh, defeated Gilberto Ramirez this last weekend to retain his um, his title. He's uh, 21-0 now, I believe, um, and he's the WBA light heavyweight champion, um, and and yeah, he, he's looking like the machine that everybody knows he is. There's going to be some interesting fights coming up in the near future. He may be fighting better Biev, who is a older guy, but he he's considered one of the best power for power fighters in the world, so that's going to be interesting. There's also always the possibility of a canelo trilogy if, if canelo wants to jump up to that late that weight again so so yeah um very interesting times in the ring at the ring just as interesting um you've got the tyson fury and true geordie rivalry that seems to have started um i don't know if any of you boys have seen this but i i, I completely agreed with true geordie's line of questioning and he wasn't letting of yeah. Fury get away with the absolute bullshit
3: that is the Chisora fight. Um, and I agree with him. So... Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think um, it stems from the fact that I think Fury is weirdly trying to dock the AJ fight. Um, I think he can't can't really look away at it. I mean, what do you think in regards to that?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's I, 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 one of them where I, I'm I'm becoming less enthused about that fight the the, the longer it goes um, the longer we, we, we talk about AJ Fury AJ Fury the, the less I'm bothered about AJ Fury if that makes sense um, yeah. Fury I understand why he's fighting Chisora but to put it on BT box office and expect probably tw- people to pay 25-30 quid for it when Tyson Fury beat him last time with you know, fighting Southpaw, um, fighting with his left hand because it's that bloody easy for him against somebody like Chisora. Mad respect for Chisora, an absolute legend of the game. But compared to Tyson Fury, he's just not on that level. So fight I probably actually won't be watching and I'm the one talking about boxing on the podcast. Um, moving on to AJ you mentioned there. It looks as though there are three potential options for him going forward. Um Hergovic, which is probably a fight I'm not sure many people who are especially casual boxing fans will have heard of. Um, and then two that you might have um, Dillian White, potential rematch on the cards there, um, coming off that loss against Tyson Fury. Um, and, um, and Deontay Wilder, which that I think would be, yeah. be a crazy fight, but I don't think it's the best move for AJ right now. I don't know if. Mudge, Dawson, you, Dawson, not that bothered about boxing, but Mudge, I don't know what you think about about
3: that. I think it's interesting with AJ because he's obviously coming off a loss from uh, Usyk, and um, there'll be questions as to whether he can still pull kind of great pay-per-view numbers, even though he's not champion now. Um, I think if he did go for the Wilder fight, it would be quite rogue on his part. I think he needs to kind of step back and build again and then maybe see if he can go I for agree.
0: I agree. Yeah. Business-wise, I, I completely agree. I think fight-wise, I'd love to see that fight. I think it'd be really exciting. Yeah. Um, but business-wise, in terms of his career, if he wants to keep fighting for a few more years, I think that's what he needs to do. And I think that was part of the decision-making when it came to not taking the Fury fight. You know, yeah. Zone and Matchroom Sports have just signed AJ to, a, um, to an exclusive deal. Um, and if AJ goes out and loses again... And especially if he gets knocked out by somebody like Deontay Wilder, who can knock out anybody on the planet, um, that investment, that golden goose, has gone right down the pan. So, yeah. so I think that's that's the situation with him. I don't know if there's anything else. Anybody wants to add on the boxing side of things before I nip onto uh, the MMA? I think, dead sport, um... mate. <laughs> I didn't hear what you said then. What? Said it's a dead sport, mate oh uh, Well, I agree. <laughs> <In some> respects, <laughs> I completely agree. That is know. the uh, the end of the boxing segment. There you go. Dorsa. That's it then. Yeah, Dawson's just ended it there. So we will move on to UFC 281, baby. It takes place this weekend at Madison Square Garden in New York, New York. The main event is Israel, the last stylebender, Adesanya, against Alex Pereira. Now, Alex huge. Pereira might not be a name that many people have heard, especially um, people that are you know, maybe a bit more casual MMA fans. But essentially, this guy's got a six and one um, MMA record, and he's fighting for a title in one of the most historically competitive divisions in the sport. So you mentioned there, Mudge, straight away, huge. Why is it yeah. so huge, and, and who do you expect to win?
3: He's beaten him twice. He has. Um, as a kickboxer. He so has. I think um, there's a lot of mind games going on right now. Adesanya is usually very good at um, kind of being a troll in terms of lead up to, to press conference. So it would be interesting to see what he's like. But I think he's going to be a little bit cautious. I think his team are a bit weary because losing once, fine, fair enough. And, you know, Going back to boxing, AJ lost to um, Dillian White in, in the amateurs and then obviously owned him in, in the pro fight. But to lose twice to the same guy, I think it it kind of says something about that, that matchup. And uh, I think in, in the UFC, anything can happen in that ring. So it'd be it interesting. Israel's, Israel's very, very good at kind of executing his game plan. But I think if Pereira kind of goes out, Pereira's got knockout power as well. I think if he goes after him, it could be dangerous for Israel.
0: It could. It could. And we're going to have to see something different from Israel Adesanya this weekend. You know, is he, for the most part, the vast majority of the times, has, has outstruck his opponents and, and fairly easily at, at, at that as well. You know, the biggest trouble we've probably seen him in is against Kevin Gastelum in that absolute barn burner of a fight. But yeah. apart from that, he pretty handily, you know, pieces people apart on the feet. Um and you've got obviously the um Bojovic fight where where Jan just wrestled him for five rounds and retained the the, the the um the light heavyweight title. But but yeah, Izzy's Izzy's got something to do this weekend. You know, the last time these guys squared off against each other, um, Alex Pereira flatlined Israel with a left hook. So yeah. you know that's gonna be weighing heavily on his mind and, you know, Izzy's a master of the mind games, like you say. Um is he gonna, you know, is he gonna be um be, fall victim to those same mind games? Because yeah. you know, th- 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 at the end of the day, um, you've got somebody here that's th- the last time they, they met each other, he, he was on, you know, he was on the floor, um, you know, with his eyes rolling back in his head. So, uh, it's going to be very toes curling, toes curling. That's it. <laughs> um, on this card as well. It's yeah. a crazy card and it's really gone under the radar. You've got the women's strawweight title fight, Carla Esparza versus Zhang Wei Li. That's Ooh. gone under the ra- radar because Carla Esparza won the title from Rosemary yunes in probably the most boring fight I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. But she got it done. She got the win. I think Zhang Wei Li might spark her. <laughs> probably will <laughs> but but yeah um, it's going to be a great fight and, and, and I can't wait for that one but I mean the third fight on the card Dustin Poirier, yeah. Michael Chandler is there any way that this is not an absolute barn
3: burner my my issue with the, the ordering of the main card is I get the women's straw weight match is a title match i get it but that poirier chandler match should be co-main like i think that should be second in it's terms a of crazy hype.
0: fight it's yeah. a crazy fight and and i get what you're saying but you know one of the reasons i like mma and, and i love mma so much is for the most part with some notable exceptions but for the most part um well, actually no i don't even think there have been that many exceptions in the past few years i mean even at ufc 200 where you've got brock lesnar fighting coming out of retirement you still had Misha Tate versus Amanda Nunes for the title and the main event. You know, that's what the UFC does and I respect the UFC and like the UFC for doing that. The titles are bigger. You know, even though you will have yeah. a main event at times where there isn't a title on the line, if there is a title fight on the card, that's the main event. And yeah. it is what it is or it's the co-main event in this situation. So, I get what you're saying and I do agree, but when it comes to actually staying up and watching these fights for a European fan, it is also great that you've got Poirier-Chandler on third in a weird way because yeah. that's the point of the night where your re- eyes start feeling really heavy. And you yeah, start definitely. feeling like you really can't stay awake. And then the next minute, you see Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler, yeah. and you know that things are gonna break down very quickly.
3: Yeah, so, a couple, so yeah. a couple of coffees on the on the go before. before
0: oh, that. mate, you, you yeah. won't need it after that fight. You won't need it yeah. after that fight. But yeah, it's gonna be amazing. Madison Square Garden, you know, one of the most iconic, if not the most iconic, venue in the entire world. Um, and it's going to be a fantastic night of fights, and and one that I think will uh, will will be a great card in twenty twenty two. I have one question,
3: and I want to know your so, opinion on this. Do you think me. do you think Dana is actively looking for a new champion for the middleweight by giving Alex Pereira the shot at only seven games into the mm, U, no. matches in into UFC? No. So what
0: I think he's doing, and I think he's doing it correctly and well, is. Alex Pereira has got a very limited skill set. He's an unbelievable kickboxer, one of the best kickboxers you know in the world, um, and he's been given fairly favourable matchups to get him to the point that he's at now. If he'd not beaten Israel Adesanya in the last, you know, twice in the last, you know, few years yeah. uh, in kickboxing, then he wouldn't be in this position. He wouldn't be in the position that he's in. But ultimately, he did. And that's that's got to be considered, and the fact that they've given him some favorable matchups. You know, you give him the title, the, the title fight, and, and you you have that matchup against Israel Adesanya. That you know he's a he's a genuine threat to Adesanya, even though he's only had three or four fights in the UFC. Um, and I think it's smart matchmaking because then that gives Dana the opportunity to you know maybe build, bring bring some through some new stars. You know, at the top of that division, you've got Robert Whitaker. You know who's been beaten by Izzy twice. You've got um, Paulo Costa who's been beaten by Izzy. You know it's he's kind of cleared out the division. So if I'm Dana White, I'm probably making the same match. To be honest with you, I'm I'm probably doing the same thing. So I can't I can't complain. Fair enough. Yeah, I can't complain. So yeah, so um, UFC 281 this weekend. Be Um, a big one, baby. No major boxing coming up in the next few weeks, but I'm sure when there is. Loaded Sports will be all over it for you. And Adam, unless there's anything else you want to add?
2: No, that's it from me. Uh, thank you yeah. very much, chaps, for joining us and having a, a great review and look back over the weekend's action. Um, we'll have a Adam. podcast next week as well, yes.
1: What kind of chaps are they? Are they assless chaps made famous by Shawn Michaels? They're the exact ones, actually, yeah. Just Even the same the brown ones. brown
0: ones that he wore that's Survivor Series 02 in the very, <laughs> uh, very
1: venue that
3: you've just been discussing. Uh, discussing. Pooh Brown, Poole Poole Brown, your
1: Square Garden. Spin, is it not your
3: man Chappers from work? Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> okay,
2: thanks for
0: joining us on Loaded Sport, everyone. As soon yeah. as he comes into the conversation, we're gone.